You are listening to Currents, a podcast of Big Ocean Women. My name is Shelley Ray Spots, and I will be today's host. The Currents podcast aims to gather women who are deliberate thinkers, women who are prepared to engage as powerful forces for good in their homes, their communities, and the world. On today's episode, we will be speaking to Katie Jo LaRiviere, an associate professor of literature at Mount Angel Abbey and Seminary in St. Benedict, Oregon. Katie's scholarly research engages the question of selfhood in medieval and early modern literature, philosophy, and theology. As a professor, Katie Jo is dedicated to her students' development as whole persons who use their talents and develop their abilities to engage and serve their communities. Katie believes the core of education is self-giving. It is a kind of love that brings a person to their fullness in the world. She writes and produces the Diamonds for Our Children podcast, a public humanities project and motherhood ministry launched in 2021. La Riviere's weekly poetry live sessions can be found at Diamonds for Our Children on Instagram. All right, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and, and why you started the podcast you did? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so my background um, is very, con- it's very complex. And I think that um, there's the, the, much of the reason I began the podcast has to do with me learning how to tell my own story. Right. Um, you know, I'm kind of coming to a point in my life, I just turned 35. It's kind of a big year for my family, um, for mom to turn 35, because when my mom turned 35, um, she was diagnosed with cancer for the first time. And she had us three young children. Um, and she would go on then to battle cancer another time. And then, um, to become severely ill one more time, um, after that. And so it was kind of the start of a very conscious phase of understanding who am I, what is my relationship to this world? Um, And I really wanted, you know, I really wanted to understand um, myself, but more than that, I wanted my kids to understand me. I wanted my kids to be able to know their own history by knowing my history. Um, Because I think that was one of the things that I felt I really needed um, growing up was to know, you know, who is my mom before she was my mom? And how did, how did me, how did I come about this way? And why was my mom the kind of mom she was, right? She was a wonderful mother. She is a wonderful mother. Um, And like, but how did we get there? (laughs) Right? Like, how did we get to this place? Um, And so it was really kind of convoluted. It was like, I wanted to look at my own history and my own self. And what are these, what are all these ideas? What is this worldview that I hold? And how did I get to holding it so that then I could communicate it to my kids and they would really have a sense of like, of understanding who their mother is. Um, They're just coming to the age where they're starting to realize 
then I'm a separate person. Right. Like I have a 10 year old, um, a seven year old, a five year old, right They're They're just starting to realize like, Oh, mom is mom and me, like we're different humans. <laughs> um, and especially my oldest, right. She's really starting to have a sense that like, Oh, like my mom is her own being right. Her own right. person. And maybe she had a whole life before I was born. Um, and so, yeah, it's that, it's that moment that I kind of thought, okay, I want to tell them their history. And so I imagined like I would write a book for them and it would be, or I would write a journal or I would make a little series of videos or something I wanted to make that was just for them. And then I thought to myself, or I was inspired, I think, you know, to share that journey with others. Um, And not necessarily because I think I'm this like great model of (laughs) what it is um, to be a mother, but, uh, but rather because I wanted to model the process of telling one's story and coming to one's understanding of oneself um, in a, in a, in an easy way, in a way that was like really exploratory, flexible, open to learning um, and okay with making mistakes and admitting things that are not perfect. And I mean, in some sense that was, that was my desire to resist like perfection culture um, and resist highlight reel. You know, I wanted to say like, Hey, here's this thing about me. I'm really not perfect at this. Um, Can you join me in like not being perfect? Because that would make me feel better for one thing. (laughs) And for another thing, like that's real, that's life. Um, And so, so I think, I mean, I, I was really thinking like how, how, what is the best format that I could then make this very personal thing for my kids, but also share it with other people who might benefit from it and love them by doing it. So the, one of the major thrusts of the whole idea was that it's not actually about me, even though it's about me, <laughs> right? But, right? in talking about myself, hopefully, like if I'm doing it right, I'm helping other people to talk about themselves. I'm helping other people to think about hard things and deep things um, and giving them language to do that, giving them a space to think about it. Um, right. And also like a a soft landing place, right? Like a place where they could reach out to me and say like, oh, I'm having a hard time with that. And I'm a real person who can respond to that. And I'm, you know, I'm here for that. I I want to be um, in dialogue with real humans all over the world. Anyone who's, anyone who needs that soft landing place. I think that that is, a really powerful sort of goal is that, you know, being in that place where you can really interact and have that vulnerability to say, Hey, I'm not 
a perfect person and and I'm not expecting you to be a perfect person, but let's share our imperfections together, right? I think that can be so powerful and and it all comes through telling our stories to one another, right? But we tend to, I think in society, especially with social media and the way we share, the way we share what we're doing in our lives, right? It is the highlight reel. It is the perfect moments. It is like these curated images of what our lives as people and our lives as mothers are supposed to look like. And yet we all know that that's not the reality. And so I think this is a really interesting idea of how do we actually resist this like perfectionism and and this impulse to put a front up that says, you know, I, I'm doing everything perfectly, right? So I think, I think that's really powerful. What sort of experiences have you had with, with people sharing, you know, their stories that you've been able to see some strength in or take something from that has helped you in your own mothering and your own life? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, okay. So many thoughts about this. Um, you know, I think the first thing is actually in like one of the very early episodes of the podcast, like maybe episode three or four, mm-hmm. I, I admit that I love perfection. Like I say, <laughs> I say, I, I am a perfectionist. Love. Yeah, I think we love yeah the tidiness of it, the, yeah. the, we're, we're taught to love order and to resist like chaos. And yet, yeah. I mean, yeah. life is messy. It, it really yeah. is. And there's that social pressure, right? Like to be so perfect. That's, I mean, what you're talking about with the highlight reel and how we present ourselves to the world and so social media. And I mean, I think for me in part, what I really wanted to get at was to say, Hey, I, I really love perfection, but there's a difference between that and perfectionism. Right. My constant struggle is perfectionism, but I need to, like, I want to model reframing that. Right. Picture, right. Not only so that you can learn it, but I can learn it with you. We can learn that together, that reframing. Right. And I, I think that reframing is, is, again, another idea that's really powerful. I'd love you to talk about it a little more because we do get caught up in this, in the language of perfectionism, right? Because perfectionism is negative and it feeds into these negative emotions and yet striving to be better, you know, and and we talk about striving to be perfect or striving to improve ourselves. That's a positive thing. You know, Mm -hmm. we, we should be making those sorts of advances in our, in our lives. And, but it can feed into this cycle of perfectionism. So what does that reframing look like for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it, it looks like applying the way I treat other people to how I treat myself. So I know that seems maybe backwards. (laughs) It's like love other people as you love yourself. Right. But actually from, for a perfectionist, there's a lot of self-hatred in that. There's a lot of self-criticism in perfectionism. And so um, my thinking is actually, would I ever look at my kids this way? 
Like if my kids made a mistake, Mm. would I criticize them and hate them the way that I do sometimes to myself? Or would I do that to my students? Never. Like I'm begging my students to take risks. I'm begging them to, um, to try new things and to press the limits of all of their boundaries. So when they come up short, would it be fair for me or would it be good of me to become frustrated with them? No. Right. So why do I do that to myself? Like, why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we look at pictures on Instagram or whatever people on Twitter or TikTok or whatever, and say like, Oh, that person is perfect. First of all, we don't even know. We don't even yeah. know. <laughs> you know, we don't yeah. see any of the backstory. I, I totally yeah. empathize with what you're saying with, yeah. with students, because I know um, with my students and teaching writing, a lot of the emphasis is let's learn about the practice. Let's yeah. learn about, let's learn about the process. And I'm less interested in what you create for your final product than I am in how authentically you've engaged in the process and how much you've grown, right? So if, if you're here and you've moved forward, I, you know, I'm gonna be happy. If you have stayed in the same space, I'm not gonna be as happy. And, and so there's a lot of emphasis on growth and, and that movement that, yeah, I don't think we offer that grace to ourselves. Absolutely. Right. Even when we're trying, even when we are growing, we are making improvements, we demand more of ourselves. And, and that again, like it, it feeds into the negativity of, of, you know, feeling bad about ourselves, feeling like we're not doing enough as, you know, as people, first of all, but also as mothers, right? Because there's a lot of mommy shaming that happens. It, 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 the stakes are so high. Yeah. The stakes are so high with, with perfectionism for mothers, you know, your kids are at stake and also your family and your house and, you know, whatever home you make for your family and um, everything that society might think about you. Right. And in one sense for me, um, Rejecting that pressure comes with the realization that that um, that the social pressure is designed so that you cannot ever do everything right. Like yes. you, you cannot always you cannot be succeeding um, like ever. There's always going to be some standard or some criticism that comes against you. And so, but what kind of a world is that? Like, is that real? <laughs> is that real? Like, or is that a construct yeah. that we have made? I really think it's it's this construct, right? But we feed into it. We we buy yeah. into it. Yeah. And and one of the things I've discovered as a parent, and especially as my kids have gotten a little older, um, because my kids are now like emerging young adults. They're they're between the ages of seventeen and twenty three. And they don't need me in the same way that they needed me when they were young. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's no longer like a matter of life and death that I'm there to feed them, that I'm there to get them to the places they need to be. And one of the things I've realized is a lot of the things that we spent time doing when they were younger, the busyness we filled our lives with, 
was constructed. And now that they need me in a different way and what they need is they need a listening ear and they need a mentor and they need someone to just be there in some of those quiet moments, I'm realizing that we have to get past that construct and we have to create those quiet moments. We have to create those spaces for ourselves and for our children because otherwise we do buy into all of the, the idea that we have to be going and we have to be doing and we have to be engaging in all of these things that society says is good parenting, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, it's interesting uh, while you're t talking about that, it's making me think about um, sort of the other side of the podcast, which is, um, you know, on, on the one side, there is this motherhood ministry genre <laughs> or like aspect of it. On the other side, the thing I wanted to just combine with that is public humanities, right? So I'm a professor of literature. That's that's where I live my life yeah. professionally, right? Is in the humanities and this deep, deep question of what it is to be human um, and, and how are we to interact with other humans? Um, and the question of, of like this construct, these constructs we build, I think can be really undermined um, in a, in a, a a deep dive into the humanities um, and into thinking, really allowing yourself the time to think through these deep questions and to use the methodologies that we're kind of using, right? On the podcast, right. asking particular kinds of questions that we're asking. Um, and that's why I do those poetry readings on Instagram. Yeah. So I do a weekly poetry reading and it's just, we're just teaching ourselves how to pay attention. Yeah. Slowing down and we're teaching ourselves how to pay attention to what's right here on the page. I love that. I, and I think I was really struck by when you were introducing yourself that you talked about starting the podcast as, as a way of, of like being there in a space for your kids to get to know you as a person and, and see you as more than just a mother and, and sort of the whole humanness of you. And I think this is so relevant. Speaking as someone who has older kids, that has been a lot of the space in which we're building our relationship now is, you know, I'm no longer necessarily always the authority figure, but it's making time and making space to have good discussions yeah. and to ask them, you know, what, what does it mean to be a human, to, to engage, to be attentive, yeah. to notice the small things. And sometimes they do get a little annoyed with their, with their creative writing mother. Who, who I, <laughs> I write, I write creative nonfiction. I write essay, which is dedicated mm -hmm. to noticing the small things. Yeah. And they're like, oh no, mom stopped to look at the grass growing in the crack of the sidewalk again. What, <laughs> what are we doing? Or we'll watch a show and uh, we'll watch a, a TV show together and, and it'll be over. And they're like, okay, everyone leave or mom is going to want to start to discuss it. 
And, oh, no. and so, and I'm like, yeah, I am. Get back here. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Right. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting space, right? Where we're just slowing down. We're making time for beauty, for, for poetry, yeah. like poetry. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that focus and just this dive into, yeah, what it means to be human, which we live in such a fast paced world. And yet those conversations don't happen in the fast. Yeah. Well, here's, I mean, this is kind of the, the big, big problem, right. That I think the humanities addresses really well when it says, Hey, Hey, let's slow down and pay attention and let's learn how to ask a series of really good questions and take the time to respond to them. Okay. When the humanities does that, yeah. What it's doing is it's allowing our ethics and our hearts to, to catch up with where our technology and our, um, our hunger and our economy have all sort of driven us, right? So we are, we are miles ahead of where our hearts and our ethics are. Yeah. And the humanity says, ha ha, wait. Wait, you have to please, attend. Please don't you have to walk attend to away. These, these things. Yeah, please don't. Please don't go without your ethics. Please. Yeah, yeah. No, it's literally that moment. Yeah, yeah. That's it's exactly that moment where your kids want to walk out of the room, and you're like, no, no, no. come on, come humanities. Back. We have to do this. Yeah, yeah. We have to do it's the that. work it's now. That. You you had the fun. Now we have to do the work. <laughs> So yeah, exactly. I totally agree. Yeah. And I, I mean, that, that is the thing. Like it is work, right? Like mm -hmm. it is work. Yeah. But attention is work, though, right? It's so easy, yeah. and I think this is why we fall into the trap of like easy media and and just floating through things. Is is that paying attention is work, and it requires yeah. like constant mindfulness bringing bringing our minds and bringing our consciousness back into the moment because we I mean the human brain is a really interesting thing and it wants to be in all of the different spaces and it wants to follow all of the rabbit holes and it wants to be distracted and we live in a culture that that is focused on the distractions so yeah that that attention and that mindfulness and those moments where you say what does this really mean and I love that you said, you know, teaching them to ask the questions because I, I've recently had some students who, who've been, you know, grappling with some questions and have been so frustrated with the fact that they can't seem to find like a clear cut answer, mm -hmm. right? I cannot answer this yes or no one way or the other. And I'm like, but maybe just asking the question is part of the answer, right? Maybe the yeah. conversation and, and having that conversation and moving it forward, maybe we don't need to know exactly everything in that moment. It's paying attention to it. I mean, in part, right, asking the question forces you to sit in a gray area, right? It forces yeah. you to dwell in ambiguity and complexity and nuance, which is not where our brains want to be, right? But... <laughs> But it's where our hearts want to be. Yes. Our hearts are 
complex and nuanced and they need ambiguity and they're okay. Like our feelings are that way. We know that we can feel two things at once, that we can be simultaneously um, feeling joy and sorrow or feeling um, elation and anxiety or, you know, any combination of, of emotions. And it's the brain that's like, no, I have to figure it out right now. Right. I have but to solve the like, puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. But our hearts are different. That's right. And I think, um, I think I just, I really want to open up the space for my kids or for anyone who's listening to, to allow themselves to sit with their heart for a minute. Um, there's this, this saying that um, a good friend of mine uses as actually the, the title of her business, which is be a heart, nothing but a heart. Wow. Right. And it's, it's like, that's, that is a life motto, right? Yeah. That is a, a mantra, if you will. Um, that just means like, I'm going to be in that space. And in fact, that's where I'm going to meet people at their deepest level of, of need. Right. And then that's where we're going to serve people. Yeah. And, and you can do it certainly in a tangible charitable way, but being a heart, just being that space for someone is caritas. Like that is love. Yeah. That's, that's like, that's my deepest hope for the podcast. Like, that's what I want it to do. I want it to just be a heart for people to rest in. I love that. Has that changed in any way the way you parent your children, the way you interact with them? Oh yeah. I mean, so my, what's so amazing speaking of like all of the threads of our conversation so far, but starting at perfection, mm-hmm. you know, going into being a parent, I was very young. I was 24. I was married like nine months <laughs> before becoming a parent. Um, and, and I was very rigid and perfectionistic and everything that I was doing. Um, and then I had kids, I mean, had my first baby and I was still very rigid and perfectionistic and I kept being very rigid and perfectionistic until my second baby was born. Um, and she, um, she opened up a whole world of, of sort of expectations being, um, accommodated. So I'm not going to say expectations being unmet. Right. Um, it, what really happened was that it opened a world of saying to me, you don't have to have these rigid and perfectionistic expectations. In fact, those are not the only expectations available to you. You get to have all of the expectations that meet the needs of your kid. I love that. So it, she really taught me to be a heart in a 
very practical sense. Um, and then, and then I was able to look back at my first baby and say, Oh, where can I be a heart to you? Yeah. Because I really wanted you to be an image of me. Right. <laughs> like that, I, think we then, do. I think that's our, maybe not expectation going into parenthood, but our first maybe impulse is to try and yeah. create that image for them. Right. Right. So, and I think that's a great way of putting it, that that's like our first impulse and it's our first way of understanding what is this thing of, that's yeah. called parenting, right? <laughs> what is this thing called motherhood? Um, but when, when I allowed myself to have a completely different field of expectations um, and, and uh, expectations that were appropriate for what she needed and wanted and who she was. Um, Then I was able to open up those expectations for not only my older child, but then also my, my youngest who came along a little later and for myself. Right. right? And that, that was a huge moment of self-discovery. It was a way for me to be like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to just peel away the layers of this construct that I've built for myself. And, and that doesn't mean I've mastered that. Um, but, but that I'm in the middle of it. Right. And that I'm learning how to do it as I tell this story about myself. Right. And as I model for others, a way of telling a story that sort of slowly pulls down these constructs and that says, Hey, I'm, I am not this or that or these, I am anything I want to be within this, you know, anything that is good and true and beautiful for me to be. Well, and again, it's that idea of sitting in a space between two ideas or in that space of ambiguity, right? Because we put labels on ourselves and being able to pull back from those labels and say, no, I am not that part of me is that maybe, maybe that is part of who I am, but I'm not only that. And so, yeah, to peel those back, that's something I think I realized um, maybe, maybe later than I should have, but with my four kids, I have four kids. I, I don't know what I expected, but I think I thought they would all be far more similar than they were. And then I have four Uh kids whose personalities are very drastically different and and realizing that I almost had to be a different mother to each of them. And, and that shaped not only what I saw of my role as their mother, but what I saw uh, as my role for myself was that, no, I didn't have to be this one thing, right? But I could, I could be, all of these different things I could. And then I went back to school when my kids were in elementary school and, and started studying writing and, and storytelling and, and did an MFA in creative writing. And I was like, yeah, we need to be more complex with how we tell our own stories because mm-hmm. it's yeah. so powerful. It's the way we tell the story of who we are really can define who we are. And it really can open doors or it can shut them. So I love, yeah, I love absolutely. 
I love this idea that that just engaging these stories can be really powerful. So yeah, I mean, it's so it's funny because I think if you listen to you know one episode of the podcast against another episode, you might be like, wait, but I thought you were like this, but I thought you were like that, but I you know it might be confusing for people. <laughs> um, but that's kind of the point, right? And that's the that's the the metaphor of the diamond, right? The podcast is diamonds for our children. Well, a diamond has many many facets. Each one shines light, yeah. right? You don't, but it's unified. Okay, so it's all showing different images, but it's all within this one unified self. And um, you know, in our family, we kind of talk about those those different facets as competing needs, right? So that I can say like, well, all of my kids are super different and I'm, I have to be a different mother to them just as you were saying, right? But that doesn't mean I am a, a, an incongruous or, or disintegrated person. It just means I have many ways of being. All of them are united within me and I'm going to shine light on all of this in the way that I, in the ways that I can, um, in family life. So, so yeah. And, and it's so related to the idea of storytelling because human beings need narrative. We, our brains function on narrative. Um, our, our whole understanding of identity and selfhood, of other human beings, all of it relates, or I'm sorry, all of it relies on, on story, on narrative. And so it's really important that we learn to take the time to tell the story and, and, and to listen to the stories of other people, right? Right. Those stories, like, I think listening can be one of the most impactful things we can do for ourselves, for our children, you know, just, just taking a moment and listening and, and seeing what someone else has to tell you about their story. Honestly, I think it is the, the hallmark of the mother is to listen to the human being in front of her. Right. So like, even if that human being is not her own biological child, like I can mother you by listening to your story. It's a way of nurturing who you are, of respecting that you are a full human being, right? And like giving life to you through letting your story be expressed. And so if, if I'm listening, um, then I'm offering you in some sense, um, motherhood a place to land, a place to tell your story. Yeah. I love that. Um, we, when you were telling me about getting started with this and, and sort of the ideas that you had, you mentioned that it was a little bit grounded in your experience with your own mother and as, as she had cancer and, and got ill. And, and I think, I think for good or for bad, we are shaped by the mothering experiences we've had. But when, when you think about telling our own stories, I I've been thinking about this idea a lot. My, my mom passed away in September 
this year. And there's something radically different about having to suddenly take up that space of, say, of you know, feeling motherless a little bit. And also like you're now the oldest mother in, yeah. in, in yeah. the social sphere, right? And so that becomes a different way of telling our stories, yeah. right? And so we're so grounded and we're so shaped by how we see the stories of our own mothers and our grandmothers and, and the people who've come before us. But I know some people haven't had great mothering experiences. They haven't, you know, really been grounded in super positive. So for those people, do you feel like the podcast offers them a space where they can maybe grab onto some of these different narratives of motherhood and, and find a safer space for themselves? I hope so. But I also... In, in hoping that, um, well, okay, this is going to sound so weird. Like I, I really, really love my listeners. Like I really love you. <laughs> I love you. Um, and I don't even know you, right? Like many of my listeners, I don't even know who they are, but I love that they exist. I love them because they exist and there's nothing else they have to do in order to be loved. And that's, that's a fundamental truth of humanness, right? Which is that you only need to exist to deserve love period. But that's and so at odds with what we're told through society, yes, right? Yes, you have is. to earn it. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that is, that falsehood is really the, the root of a lot of negative mothering experiences. You know, the, the idea that you need to earn love from a parent, that you need to be a certain way. Maybe you need to be perfect. Maybe you need to say the right things. Maybe you need to look the right way or reflect perfectly upon your mother so that you know, society thinks she did a great job or whatever it might be. All of that is earning, you know, motherhood. Yeah. And in, in resisting that idea and in affirming the tr truth that human beings only need to exist to be loved, I feel like that's where I want the podcast to be a place that says to anyone who has had a difficult mothering experience, whether through abuse, neglect, loss, any of these things, to be that place that says, you're, you're a human being. You are so worthy. You are so worthy of love, deep and affirming, secure love. Just because you exist. Yeah. That we don't have to, that we don't have to do something to deserve it. Yeah. Like, I think that that, I think that could radically change the way we view our roles, right? Not yes. only as mothers, but as humans. Yes. That, that we are worthy of being loved 
But that understanding comes with the understanding that everyone else is yes. so worthy of being loved just because they exist. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, this is the simultaneity, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the work, that's the, that's the work that we're doing. It's, and that's why I've combined these two genres that don't seem to match, right? Like it's like this scholarly academic humanities genre, but also this motherhood genre together. They express this idea that you are worthy and you are worthy. Or how do I want to say this? You are worthy. And because we know this truth that you are worthy it follows logically that everyone else is worthy too. Yeah. Your job in life as a human being is to receive love and then to pour it out to others. Yeah. That's beautiful. Just that's like, it is, it's the experience of being human and, and we do, we distract ourselves from it. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Is there anything else that you would love to share with our listeners about your podcast or anything else? Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm just, I'm supremely delighted to to talk to you today and to get to uh, um. think about these ideas like any chance I get. Um, I, I think, I think I just, I just want to reaffirm that message like in a very personal way to close out this interview or this conversation. I just want to affirm, like if I could speak directly to your listeners, I would tell them, I love you. You are worthy of being loved because you exist. And so if you, if you aren't finding that in your life where you are, come and seek it. Come and find that place where you can find the heart and then be the heart. Fill yourself up so we can pour ourselves out. That is, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Currents, a podcast of Big Ocean Women. You can find us at BigOceanWomen.org, on Instagram, and on Facebook. If you are interested in joining or starting a cottage, reach out to us on any of these platforms and we will get you connected. Our guest today has been Katie Jo LaRiviere from the Diamonds for Our Children podcast. You can find more information on our website, BigOceanWomen.org. Join us again for an in-depth discussion about interesting ideas and fascinating people who are trying to make a difference in their communities.